Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond, the Kingsman to my statesman, it's Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. What's up, Matt? Good afternoon, John. It's Matt from England. Hello, John. I'm doing very well. Um, That's my posh English villainous voice to prove to you all that I am actually English. Um, Yeah, I'm doing okay, my friend. I've got a cup of coffee here, decaf, because it's half past nine over here. And I'm looking forward to talking some film, as ever. But firstly, how on earth is how how are you? How's Florida? Are you keeping it well? I, I am. I, I stopped at McDonald's to get an iced coffee on my way home, just uh black with a, a couple of Splenda in it to make it a little sweet. Um it's a little watered down. I was hoping it wouldn't be, but it is. Uh but it was fast. That was I was trying to get here quick because I had to I had to walk the dogs and stuff today, so I was like making sure I had time. And uh so McDonald's I figured would be a little faster than Dunkin' and faster than going inside of a gas station to get coffee. Um and more convenient. See, I could just make coffee, but then I'd have to get up in the middle of recording to refill my mug, and that's just no good. So say, this, nobody wants that today. Yeah, that, this was the way to go, and uh, it's a little, it's it's cool outside, but it's comparatively warmer than it was like this morning. So, I, an iced coffee felt like the way to go. So that's what I did. Nope, I don't know how warm it is over here, but it's for some reason if, if I when I type in weather in the United Kingdom, it comes up with weather in Miami. So I think we're more intrinsically linked than. We uh we come across as it's fifty fifty degrees Fahrenheit over here at the minute. So there's your weather update from the Bamp. Exactly. You know we we talk weather a lot here. Um, as I I'm teaching a Groundhog Day to uh, my film nice. one class, and I love that that bit when she she's making small talk with him and the, the bed and breakfast owner, and she's talking weather like people do, and then he just is like goes all in on the weather report, and he's like, oh, did you want to talk about the weather or were you just making small <laughs> talk? And it's like, yeah, that's ouch. Um. True, though. True, so true. Uh, but, yes, yeah, very, very funny. Yeah, well, it's cold over here. It's usually hot in Florida. My coffee's hot. And I know you've been looking. Anyone who heard our show last week knows that John has been waiting the entirety of this week to talk about this film. And I'm excited to hear the minutiae of what he's got to say. But, uh, John, over to you, my friend. So this week we are going to be reviewing uh, One Night in Miami. Um, directed by Regina King, written by Kent Powers, and from what I can tell, he he is the original uh writer of the play as well. Yes. Um, which is not always the case, but in this scenario, we got we he's credited as the screenwriter. Um, I've not done any research, so I don't know if he actually uh rewrote for the screen or if they just took the play and and adapted it accordingly. Um, probably the first one, but uh, the film stars Kingsley Benadire. Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. Um, one Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. So it's a true gathering. These four people did meet on this day in uh, Miami, but what was said is, of course, lost. Uh, in fact, I'm going to use uh, a oh, Hamilton reference. Um what happened in the room you know that's the uh the i'm totally butchering that lyric but you know there's a song like what happened in the room i was waiting for you to sing it i you know what that would be a bad thing for everybody anyway <laughs> um it has a 98 percent rotten tomato score which is super high uh everyone's mm. positive on this movie because there's it, it it's i would say 
even if you don't totally vibe with everything the movie's doing, there's nothing you can point to that's just bad or wrong. It, it just, it, it glides so seamlessly. 83 Metascore, I think, helps to confirm that. And then um, IMDb, a 7.2, uh, which isn't bad because this is a talky movie. This is a, a film where almost nothing happens. It's just people um, sitting around talking about important things, but nonetheless talking. And not everybody wants a movie about people with people just talking. Um, and I nominated Regina King for Best Director uh, for the Bampies, or I guess I gave her my Bampy for Best Director. Um, and it's because of scenes that I just think work, work so, so well. And I was excited to get to watch this a second time. I'm actually hoping to watch this a third time because I really want my daughter to watch this film. So I'm hoping to, uh, I haven't suggested this yet, but I want to do like a weekly movie night with at least me and her, but maybe me, her and my wife and maybe me, her and, um, and my daughter's boyfriend. Like I'm okay, but it used to, my daughter and I frequent movie viewers together. She was my movie buddy for a long time and it started to slow down. As she got her own, like she got older and was able, her friends started driving and stuff. So she wanted to hang out with them instead of her dad. And then last year really shut it down because there's no theater. So, um, you know, that would be our thing is we would go to the theater together. If like my wife was working or whatever, that would be our, our day. We'd go to the movies, go to lunch, come home. We couldn't do that for a whole year. So uh, it's really become more, we, we don't, other than going to lunch on an occasion and sitting outside somewhere to eat, we don't, you know, we're around, but we, we kind of are both. We're both only children, right? So we have that like isolation mindset. Really want to bring this movie to her because I think she'll love it because this is the type of thing that she's really into. She's very passionate about uh, civil rights movement. And um, this movie does it in such a compelling way. Uh, Regina King does a tremendous job, I think, with her, her camera placement because this is a play. But I don't, other than there's a lot of people just talking, I don't feel like it looks like a play. I think she does some really creative stuff. There's a shot where um, Malcolm X gets into an argument with Sam Cooke and uh, Malcolm storms into another room and the camera goes into a one follows him in, curves around so we can see Muhammad Ali. And it's just this really great use of camera and it really hits the anxiety that Malcolm is feeling in that moment. There's a really cool overhead shot when the guys first pull up to the hotel that I think is really a creative way to show that. And I think that's what I really noticed about her, her choices is that she's not just filming a play. And for a first-time director, that would have been the easy way to go, would be, I'm just going to film the play. And instead, she really finds creative ways to show this story, and I think it works uh, uh, tremendously. I also think the structure of the story is really compelling. I have no idea if that's how the play is structured, because it, it, you know, there's moments where it kind of jumps around a little bit more. Um, and there's, I would assume there's a few more sets than would have been in a stage play for this, because like they leave the hotel room a few times, uh, which would seem like an unnecessary expense for a play. Like, you don't leave the hotel room. It'd be so much easier to just stay in the hotel room. Um, but I, I find everything about this compelling. I didn't know about this night. So this was like an eye opening thing to me. I did know that Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X were friends. Um, that's part of Michael Mann's Muhammad Ali film. Um, it's, it's referenced in, in Spike Lee's Malcolm X film, something I had just recently taught. Um, I think the performances are all tremendous. Uh, I don't know which one I liked the most. I think I was most impressed with Kingsley Benadare mainly because I had literally just taught Malcolm X when I saw this the first time. And I'm like, there's no way anybody can compare to Denzel Washington in this role. Right. I think he does a tremendous job as Malcolm X. And I'm not saying he's better than Denzel, but the fact that I just watched Denzel's performance and then watched this and was not like perturbed that a different person was Malcolm X suddenly, I think speaks volumes about his, his ability to, to embody the character. Um, and I mean, I, uh, 
sorry, Leslie Odom Jr. after Hamilton was already like really high up on my radar. And I just think he's terrific here. And I love that they gave him a, a part where he gets to sing again because the dude's got an incredible voice, right? Yes. Now, the one thing, and we don't do spoilers here, listeners, but there was one thing I was really confused was I knew that they were going to be meeting and it was in one night. I was a little surprised that they met up at the Continental, though. <laughs> do you get the John Wick joke there? I get the John Wick joke, but I can't go any more into it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a cast. Lance Reddick is in this movie, and that was my joke. Sorry. But um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, Matt, I, I've now spoken a lot about this movie. It was listed in my top five for the year. Gave Regina King the Best Director Award, which I hope might actually be a chance. Uh, there's some speculation this movie's going to get a lot of Oscar buzz, which yes. definitely deserves it. But I want to know, Matt, what did you think of One Night in Miami? Well, this would usually be the part where I'd pull that hilarious stunt by saying, oh, I didn't like it, but what's the point of even lying? This film was excellent, wasn't it? This film was really good. Um, when John mentioned it on the Bampies last week, that Regina King was his director of the year, well, debut, but debutante, and this film had just crashed into his top five of the entire year, and I knew it wasn't any kind of recency bias because that's not how we play the game. I was extremely, extremely excited to watch this, plus it being available internationally on Amazon Prime made even better. So everybody could watch it perfectly easy. I, I sat at home on a Monday afternoon, watched it in the comfort of my own home and really enjoyed it, it, it for, for all of the reasons you said, really. The, the screenplay is electric in this, I think. It really allows the actors to just tear up the entire set with their performances. You know, and, you, and Ken Powers, who also co-wrote Soul as well, which is really interesting from a few weeks back. Oh, interesting. He did. You, with, with something like this, when you adapt it from a screenplay, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom could have also fallen foul of this. To some people it did, but to me it didn't. But if it's too wordy, it can be a dud. It can be boring and it can just be laborious. If it's not wordy enough, something like this could come across as a bit artsy, a bit art house. Like, you know, lots of people in the room, they're sort of staring at each other and into the ether. But no, the screenplay is spot on. There's a real kind of, there's this kind of paranoid, chaotic energy to this film, which a lot of that does come from Bensley uh, King Adir, as you mentioned. Uh, Kingsley Ben Adir, sorry, excuse me, who is popular because I think he is a standout of the film. His Malcolm X is excellent. Genuinely is really very good. He speaking of paranoid and chaotic, that's him, but it's he kind of keeps he keeps himself restrained and when he needs to he he really lets loose and again trying to keep it it's not spoiler free but mm. less as subtle as possible. But he's really very good. But the whole gang here are superb. Really, really good. The direction is great, and like you mentioned, with a sta- with something that's adapted from a screenplay, from a stage show, sorry, could be stilted, or you know, you could also use needless flair to try and make it um, sexier than it could be. I.e., like the overhead car shot could have come across as a bit uh, flashy for the sake of it, but no, it it just works in the contents context of this film. Sorry, it felt genuine. I felt like I was a fly on the wall. As well, I just what I meant about the screenplays. It didn't feel stagey. It felt like we were watching this conversation because, like you said, this 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 meeting happened, but obviously, the, what what we're watching is pure conjecture. The oh, room where it happened. The room where it happened was the song that I could not pull the title. Up. There you go. The room where it happened. I've just helped him out there, Hamilton. Um, but I honestly, it felt like I was watching something real, 
And that was down to the screenplay, the direction, and the incredible, foursome actors. Awesome foursome. Um, and there was a bit at the beginning uh, with Jim Brown. You may remember him from Mars Attacks. But there's a scene with Jim Brown at the beginning, which I think was one of the most stinging of the entire oh, film. Definitely. Yeah, you know which one I mean. I was just like, I was, I was watching, thinking, well, this is, this is, this isn't pleasant. And then, and then you just get hit in the stomach with a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh god damn, this is where we're going. And uh, and that really set me up for the rest of the film. That did. And I think Regina King smashed the direction. Honestly, I think this film was excellent. And from and. Uh, yeah, it counts as for me. It counts as a 2021 film, so I'm yeah. sure this will rank fairly highly in the um, in the Bampies next year. But honestly, dude, I was I went in with a sense of kind of I hope I like it because JB was so very up on it. Yeah, and I'm glad to say that I really did. And also, you've just mentioned you sit outside to eat with your daughter. I don't even know what that's like over here anymore. But I know. Um, that's just all stuck in these four walls. I felt like the dudes, but honestly, I think everyone in this film was great. Regina King smashed it. The screenplay was excellent. It looked good. It I felt like I was in that era. Um, and the dude who played Muhammad Ali was just great as well. We've really got, really got that cockiness over, I think, really well. Uh, Eli Gorey, really in what Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali kind of was. He really caught that. Aldis Hodge, great. Leslie Odom Jr., great. What a voice. It was just a really really cool film and like I say I didn't know about the this meeting either so whilst I understand that what they said may not have actually been the case still the fact that this meeting happened and we're getting a film about what may have been because it's a film about hope as well there's a lot of hope in this film uh obviously if you know the real life stories of some of these um characters it is tinged not characters these people sorry it is tinged with like a tragedy uh but there is you know, a change is going to come. There is that thought about the whole film. And that's really imbued within the fabric of the film as well. It's not it's not over the top. It doesn't smack you in the face. But, you know, there's a real steel and real hope in this film. And mm-hmm. that's something which I took from it. Yeah. And, and I, I think there is that um, because it's a true story and we do know what happens to Malcolm X, that there is that kind of like fatalistic element to it where we, like the, the conversation we know where one thing is going and we know they're all the constant like yeah it's so hard not to talk spo- it's especially hard not to talk spoilers around a true-ish story yeah. uh, because like most people i didn't even say what happens but most people should i hope everybody knows what happened to malcolm x at this point like especially if you're listening to this podcast like you know I, unless you're like a young kid for some reason who stumbled upon us um i assume you're a, a you know teenager or older listening to us and you should have at least heard about what happened to Malcolm X. So not technically a spoiler, but there is, there is this theme throughout the, the movie that everyone's kind of judging Malcolm like that. He's not like that. He's being paranoid. And yeah. since we know the outcome, it's, it's much, you know, there's a dramatic irony kind of built into that. There's a tension and, and this kind of frustration. I think you feel with the other guys, because we know, what he's saying to be true where they don't. And we have that benefit of hindsight, essentially. Like we know the paranoia was, was founded. Um, It's, it's such a compelling movie. I I just think it's, it's, um, it's, it's just under two hours and it does not feel like it to me. It moves so quick. Um, There's so much fun moments. And I got to say too, uh, Will Smith played Muhammad Ali in Michael Mann's Ali. And 
Will Smith is a tremendous talent, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Eli Gorey, I think, nails the cadence and the voice of Malcolm yeah. X. Or not Malcolm, sorry, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, he, uh, he, had the, he had the mannerisms and he had that... that kind if this film was fairly light on levity, it's not a it's not a film which is aiming for laughs, but it's also not aiming to depress you per yeah. se. Cassius Clay brought the kind of his natural um, ebullience brought that kind of like mm-hmm. levity to certain scenes because he keeps telling you how pretty he is. Yeah. Oh, the part where like right after when after the fight and he's in the hotel room looking at the mirror, he's like, and he gets <laughs> real serious all of a sudden, and everyone's like, what, what? And he's like. I'm so pretty. It's just like, you oh, man. See this? Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Yep. Um, yeah. There's just, there's everybody's really good in this. That's the thing. Like the casting is spot on. I think all four guys are, are tremendous. All the, all the extras are really good too, to be fair. Like no one's bad, but it is 90% of the movie are these four guys. And so they have to be spot on. They have to be perfect. And I think they crush it. Um, I like Alex Hutch. He, he hasn't done a lot of things that I've seen, but the few movies I've seen him in, I tend to like, and I really, really like him here. I think he is, um, uh, even of the four, well, I'm probably the least familiar with Sam Cooke, to be honest, uh, of the four. Um, I'm most familiar, I think, with Malcolm and Muhammad Ali, for sure. And I, But I'm, I'm familiar with you know Jim Brown as an athlete. Uh, Sam Cooke, I was less familiar with as a musician until seeing this movie. And it kind of, I was like, oh yeah, I know more of his songs than I realized. I just didn't know them like who sang them you know like i hear them on the radio as a cool, kid or yeah. whatever well, i'm a soul uh, boy I've, I've always loved for decades i've loved soul music and motown music so watching sam cook on screen first he was pretty cool but also knowing his story yeah and where where that goes you know it adds another layer to this film yeah for sure this this movie just hits and it like you said it's it is the subject matter is serious and it's taken serious but there is it's meant to be engaging and entertaining and it nails that. I think it, it walks that tightrope of those tones very, very well. And it allows you to really reflect on the role that each person has. And I think each char- uh, character person has a really good argument for where they stand. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think the movie kind of leaves it up to you to decide which person is right or if any of them are completely right or if there is some kind of uh, combination of of ideals that you can you know in uh take out of this and i think that's that's one of the best things about film right is it leaves it up for the audience to interpret and kind of pick a side it it doesn't really condemn any one perspective um i think everyone gets to kind of make their point and i think that scene you mentioned with jim brown at the beginning of the movie kind of sets that right away is like here's a man who is um looked up to by many and yet and yet you what you just witnessed this injustice you know yeah. and you should have seen it coming but no i was so i was so into it yep. uh, i was kind of thinking you know he's he it guy seemed quite standoffish uh jim brown what's going on here and then yeah um but look that we've got four fantastic leads male leads and and above them we've got excellent debutante director in regina king the wonderful cinematography is also done we've got a female cinematographer which is wonderful and tammy Riker. So between them, they've managed to direct and they've managed to make this film look incredible. And you know, like I said, if you haven't, if if if, if we haven't got them in front of the camera, let's have them smashing it behind the camera because that's exactly what they did. The use of um, the use of clever shots to make sure everybody stayed in frame was was impressive. I I like that because again, you, you, it's set in one room, but it would be very easy just to kind of stick the camera in the in the corner. 
like a surveillance almost and have just people walking around. But like you said, there's the one shot and there's use of reflections and uh, it's just a really well uh, crafted film. And it just surprised me how much I really got into it. I didn't think I wasn't going to, but I was just like, where is this? Where, where are we going to go with this when we started? Because I was like, when when the, when, the, when two people are t- sitting down and talking, and then like I said, you get the stinger, and then I'm in, and I was in for the whole film. I was entranced by the performances, by the knowing the stories of the characters. It was it just added those layers that uh, Regina King absolutely built upon and smashed as well. So great, great movie this was. Well, there you have it, listeners. Uh, we didn't mention this at the top, but we watched this on Amazon Prime where it dropped on the fev- uh, the 15th of January. So it's out now if you have a subscription to Prime. Um, I'm sure at some point it'll be available to purchase on different uh, services, but right now it is only available to stream on Prime. And I think in some select theaters across the country and or world. Um, but good luck finding a theater that's open near you. Uh, be safe if you do decide to go to the theater. It is still, there's still a pandemic happening, believe it or not. Um, that said... Let's look to the headlines. Uh, The next segment of the show, we go to Chopped Headlines. These are movie pop culture news that caught our attention this week. Um, And I think Matt's is uh, on brand with what we've been talking about for the last couple of months. So let's uh, let's get into it. I couldn't, but EA, it's closer to home. Uh, My headline, it comes from uh, Variety, and it's an article by Naaman Ramachandran. Uh, And the headline is Christopher Nolan, Steve McQueen, uh, Asif Kapadia, including Danny Boyle, amongst many others. Uh, They've written to the uh, UK Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, for cinema funding, basically. uh, They're trying to keep... It's called Keep the Magic Alive as a campaign uh, which they've started. And they know that the government is trying to help cinema staying afloat, but they're saying, quite rightly, that the initiative probably won't be enough to save cinemas. Uh, Rishi Sunak is an idiot, so hopefully he listens to this. Uh, not this, well, and this show as well. If he listens to that, thanks for that. But hopefully he listens because we've got some big name film stars, uh, big name directors. Like I say, we've got um, uh, Richard Curtis, uh, the team behind James Bond, Stephen Fry, Armando Iannuccio, Jude Law, like I say, Steve McQueen, Sam Mendes, Guy Ritchie, Ridley Scott. I mean, where, did, where David Yates work? Edgar Wright, your boy, Ben Wheatley, are saying, look, the UK cinema is standing on the edge of an abyss and we need targeted funding support to ensure that future generations can enjoy the magic of cinema because uh, Cineworld, Odeon and View, which are our big chains over here, you know, they haven't had any government help. So if we're going to keep the UK uh, entertained in terms of film, they're going to need a bit of help. But it's, let's not forget as well, it's a lot of films, are fil- a lot of big films are filmed over here anyway. So there's that, Cinema is, you know, a lot of history of cinema is rooted in the United Kingdom. Of sure. course, we've got Hollywood, uh, which is where a lot of the which is where the studio system resides and always has done. But over here, you know, Pinewood, Shepperton, and locations all across the UK have seen some of the biggest films of all time made with British talent all over it. So let's not let let's not let that the industry die, and let's not let the entertainment industry die in the United Kingdom. So they've lobbied the. Uh, the current incumbents of number 10 Downing Street to say, listen, we know you're trying, we genuinely do, but looking at what, you know, we've we've got on offer, there's a high chance that this isn't going to help. It's, you know, it's, we're going to fall flat. So I just wanted to highlight the fact that these big, 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 big name directors, producers, actors, actresses, screenwriters 
are lobbying now to save cinemas in the United Kingdom, which kind of makes me think that if you know the longer this goes on, we really are in trouble. Um, which I imagine will be the same across the world, dude. Yeah, and then you got to take into consideration um, the amount of jobs that the theaters themselves employ. You know, like yeah. granted, they're probably not the highest paying jobs; they're probably minimum wage jobs. But still, if you're talking, you know. 100 employees for like one of the big chains or even even if it's like 20 employees for one of the big chains if you close however many of those there are those are all people who are suddenly unemployed and most of them are on furlough or unemployed right now anyways but if those businesses go completely under those jobs never return and that means those are job losses and that is not just detrimental to the uk that's everywhere and that is um has been a concern i mean the industry in general if if movies suddenly lose the place where they normally house and keep in mind, yes, they have a place that they can display the movies, but studios are not making nearly any money comparative to a box office by mm-hmm. dropping the movie on HBO max or on Netflix, which means we will start to see a transition into downsizing in the film studios too, where that means if right now a thousand people are being hired to make a movie, you might see that number decrease to 500. That means the budget will go down. That means that your effects and stuff will look different, which could be in some ways could be better, right? I would love to see more indie art house type movies because we love those, but your general audience doesn't. That's why those movies don't make the big box office and why they have a lower budget to begin with. In most cases, obviously there are anomalies there, but, there is there's ripple effects that I don't know if everyone's thinking about if if stu- if theaters completely go under. Of course, they could reopen someone, you know, Jeff Bezos could just decide to buy all the theaters that exist and, you know, start showing movies again. It's definitely possible. But if if all of the theaters suddenly are owned by one company, then you have that monopoly issue and you have that the lack of Amazon Studios, don't forget as well. If it was Jeff right. Bezos, for example, hypothetically, you know, he has a controlling interest in a studio yes and we know here in the states that they reversed that order that studios could not run their own theaters just a couple of years ago so it is very likely we're going to see that anyways that's something we've talked about extensively at this point Mm -hmm. so i won't dive into it again but this is i was actually talking to uh my my hall my hallway neighbor at work today um in between classes about how much i miss going to the theater like it, it is the one thing that I really have always done my whole life, like going back, even when I was like my first job, I would go every Friday or Saturday, depending on um, what night I was off, but I would go to a movie. And that was where my paycheck generally went to going to hang out with friends, eating dinner, and then going to a movie. Yeah, um, it's the experience. And, we say it every yeah, week, but it's the experience, isn't it, man? I am not comfortable in most social situations but i love going to the theater it's one of the few times where i don't mind sitting in the same area as other people before the pandemic mind you um and so for the last year it has been really hard for me especially um and obviously it's way harder for other people so in no way do i mean to apply oh poor me but i'm just saying this is one of the few things that i truly love and value in the world and whether or not that's okay i guess is debatable too maybe my values suck but this is something I personally care about. Obviously, as we devote a lot of our time to talking about cinema and stuff, I hope, and obviously there, we're not alone because the movies make 300 you know, million dollars or a billion dollars, you know, like people in the world care. So let's, let's reflect that guys. Uh, you know, let's, let's help them out. And again, what does kill me is that there are 
10 people, maybe 20 people who could save all of the theater chains by just, just giving money, not even having to take ownership. Just like Bezos probably liked the movie at some point. Right. And I'm sure Elon Musk, like going to like something, just give, give them 10% of like one, like give them some stock, let AMC own stock in Tesla for, you know, like, it's it. Give him six months worth of your. Give him ten percent of what you earn in six months, which is peanuts to you. But right. for them, it's a lifeline. And but you, you're right, though, dude. I mean, my final point on it is, it, it, like you say, it's that experience, it's that emotional connection. How many of our listeners out there have have gone on a date and they've gone to the movies? So your first date is yeah. to the movies, or they've taken their significant other. Should we go catch a film tonight? It's something which you can do together. It's something you can do with your buddies. A lot of people have an emotional connection with the with the cinema, whether whether it is going on a date, whether it is like a weekly film night with your friends, or whether it's something you like doing independently. You know, people have that connection because it's that escapism and it's that kind of wonder and the magic which we talk about, which I don't believe is hyperbole because it's that's exactly what they want you to feel. Yeah. So there is that emotional connection, and uh, yeah, let's just hope like an, an initiative like this works, and like you say, somebody can step up. We know we need a hero now to save to save our cinemas worldwide. So uh, here's hoping, eh? Yeah, um, and that leads to my headline, which is completely unrelated and a little bit like goofy, but I, I do think it was uh, it was a crazy story that caught my eye, and I was like, okay, hold up, uh, what is happening? So, <laughs> being that we are film critics, uh, self appointed, you know, no one pays us. We we chose to do this, and we've been doing it both now for a long time, and. Um, at least five years is a long time. I think that's a long time. It's um, a long time. And uh, Russell Crowe, um, the Guardian, the I got this article from the Guardian. The headline is Russell Crowe uh, film. Sorry, when film stars attack, Russell Crowe's reaction to criticism could set a trend. And the funny thing is, he's not responding to a film critic. He's responding to a kind of jabbed tweet that a musician from a band uh, i'm trying to find the uh i saw Robert... this on, i won't i won't steal your thunder but i saw this on twitter probably before oh, this yeah. article and i i liked it the uh after russell crowe's reaction so the band i guess is the icicle works which i'm not familiar with but ian McNabb is the the, the front man's name and on january 9th uh, just a couple weeks ago or a week ago he tweeted um Lots of folks complaining about lack of sleep during the pandemic. May I recommend Master and Commanders uh, starring the usually captivating attention grabbing Russell Crowe to be. Oh, he does. He does at him. That, he does. That's probably uncalled for. I've never made it past the 10 minute mark. You're welcome. And thanks, Russell. He didn't need to at him, but he did. Um, and Russell hits him back with uh, that's the problem with kids these days. No focus. Peter Weir's film is brilliant and exacting detail oriented epic tale of fidelity and empire and service to empire and service. Um, regardless of the cost, incredible cinematography by Russell Boyd and a majestic soundtrack, definitely an adults movie. Now the detail that Russell didn't bother to do any research on who Robert E. McNabb was, is that Robert E. McNabb is 60 apparently. Um, so not, not a kid uh, by any definition of the phrasing. Um, event. I can't tell if his response to that is a jab also because he says, thanks, Russell. I'm 60, but I get your point. Love unhinged, which is the total opposite of, of, uh, of mystery. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know if that was a jab or not. It, it feels like it probably was. And um, yeah, uh, I've actually never watched Master and Commander. Uh, it does not look like a movie that would ever interest me. Um, I own it which is a trend also, right? Uh, where I have, yes. um, but 
Uh, I haven't watched it. Um, it it does look it it kind of looks boring to me, and that's why I've never bothered to watch it. But uh, I I just the Guardians making this claim that Russell Crowe setting this kind of bad precedent where if you are a fan or maybe not a fan that it's easy to get reactions from celebrities, right? Like that you can kind of uh, troll them into talking to you. Cause there has been a push during the pandemic for cameo. Have you heard of cameo? Yes, I have. It's that uh, you pay for like 20 second or 30 second messages or whatever. Right. And depending on how big of a celebrity you pay, it depends on how expensive it can get. It can get pretty pricey. Um, and anyone can do it. It doesn't have to be a celebrity, but I guess the idea is like, why would someone pay for like Burke to, to say, Hey, happy birthday. Um, I would. Yes, but you don't have to, Matt. You'll get that for free. But um, <laughs> it is like a video message through the service. And I don't know if you get to keep the video or if it's like, does it go away like a Snapchat? I, I assume you do get to keep it. I think you, it's yours to keep. So that's pretty cool. And I guess uh, how they've maybe turned up and what they are or whatever, because there's references that people have seen them. I have not actually watched any. I don't know what it's like. But um, apparently uh, that's kind of the argument. It's like people are paying for Cameo. But it, instead of paying, why don't you just at the person you want to give crap to talk some trash to them and maybe they'll give you a mess a personal message and take you know a shot at you and that's kind of the the point the guardian's making i don't know if i fully agree with that and i i kind of it, for the a guardian article it has a tongue-in-cheek a tongue-in-cheek type vibe to it where it does feel a little satirical it really happened obviously but it, it does feel like they're they're kind of the precedent like alarm it doesn't feel like it's a completely genuine point of, uh, perspective that they're making but it does set a precedent that you know we we've been talking about internet trolls for a long time i i that was my last headline from two weeks ago i was talking about kamel and uh candace cameron bray getting trolled essentially but both of them doing it in a much neither of them came to it but that is what you are kind of setting a precedent with russell crowe here and it, it was wrong again to to at him in the the criticism because he could have just said taking the jab at master and commander and not you know, done that. Like I, whenever I post a review, if it's really positive, I will at the people in the movie. Goddamn right. But if it's negative, I'm I'm not trying to like make them feel bad. Like I'm giving criticisms so that people who are looking to watch a movie and they maybe agree with me on other reviews will say, "Hey, Birkenfield usually likes movies that I like. He didn't like this one. I'm not going to waste my time with it. I'm not trying to hurt the filmmakers, uh, you know, feelings or, or or crush their dreams by giving a negative criticism." but it's my opinion and that's where i i don't like the the tactic it it did feel like i'm gonna make fun of russell crowe but again he's i guess a celebrity i don't know that band but they're they're a band so assume that they are somewhat they have their own following i guess it sounded like a guy who wanted to get his band's name in the headline because exactly what yeah. he's done yeah. it's exactly what and and and, the re, and for what you've just said he didn't need to ask him no he didn't but you know damn well what he did. It was a guy chasing some clout, and yeah. I'm very much of the opinion that look if if you want to if you want to say if you want to get send a barb across to someone, fair okay, whatever. We all have we all we all dislike things. But if you're going to actually like, I think he put at the bottom CC at Russell Crowe. If you're actually going to direct that to the star of the film, you've got to expect that it's going to might turn around and say, listen, you know, pipe down, you idiot. I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, to no, be I, don't I generally don't either because. The fact that it wasn't like Russell Crowe sought this out to have a fight. It was he was it was directed to him. The guy, it's like he knocked on his door and said, By the way, your film bored me to tears. I liked Master and Commander an awful lot. I think it's my dad's favourite film as well. Um I sat down and watched it with him a couple of years ago and I also thought, God, this is gonna be a slog. 
Really good film, actually. Really good. You may, you may, you may even like it, JB. Russell Crowe's very good in it. Paul Bettany's very good in it as well. Um, yes, him from that show. He's in it as well, and he's very good. Yeah, I'd recommend it if you ever get a chance. It's over two hours long, um, and then maybe you could turn around and say, "No, it didn't put me to sleep." But yeah, I mean, he wasn't. I don't think he was overly mean to the guy. He didn't fact yeah. check how old he was, but um, yeah. I think you know, if Russell Crowe's proud of his film, he's going to stand that for it. And, if you go out looking for, if you go out throwing stones, you might sometimes you've got to expect to get some thrown back. Me and John, like we say, if, if I put out a review which trashed somebody's film and and put, you know, by the way, at director, your film was crap, then maybe I'd expect that director maybe co- to come back and say your review was also bad. You know, I mean, if you're going to be stupid, you're going to get that. And that's what I say. We don't do that. You know, we'll, we'll shower the praise and we'll let people know. But if we're not overly keen on something, then we're not going to shove it in somebody's face it's just you know this was our opinion whereas this guy you know he having a bit of a having a bit of a joke but clearly wanted to get a response because he might think the guardian would pick it up and a, a transatlantic podcast might you know talk about it and you know fair dues you've done it but um i don't think it's going to set any dangerous precedent though yeah i i agree they do also point out though that russell's kind of targeting of uh youth though is has like this old man kind of vibe to it like this like oh man, uh, you whippersnappers man. don't get it like and that's i think there's some truth to that like it was a yes it was a bold assumption he made and kind of a generalization that all kids just can't get that movie and that's not true at all um sometimes it's, well, it's i laughed at zach snyder for saying i laughed at zach snyder for saying that when he said well this, this is a grown-ups movie this is when he talk when he's talking about his version of the justice league and i sat there and i <clears throat> but so i can't now turn around and not say the same with russell crowe and it's true i mean is it it probably is grown-ups may find it more appealing than youngsters but to kind of say to dismiss anybody under the age of 30 even considering it to be decent is is wrong you shouldn't i don't know it's a sweeping statement which was silly to say yep big time yeah and that that is good one yeah it's just a fun little article uh nothing serious on that one and no real stakes other than yeah you know, maybe maybe if you're gonna diss somebody and you're gonna go on a big rant about like ageism, essentially, make sure that you're targeting the right person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russell Crowe, he, he's always gacking for a fight. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, our headlines. Let's get into what we've been consuming since our last episode. This is media consumption: movies, TV, video games, music, podcasts—not ours—that we use to uh, to pass the time between episodes. Matt, what have you been watching, playing, etc.? Um, I say not not that much, but actually it's a, f- a few a few bits. But I had a really really busy weekend. It's been really busy since the last show because again lockdown. Before they heard that before, but kids are at home, so homeschooling is a thing now again. So a lot of the day where I'd usually watch stuff or or, or read or or play on things has gone now. Um, in you know being replaced by probably something a lot more important. But you know it means I have a lot less time to look of leisure time but i've managed to squeeze a few things in over the weekend um i can't remember if i mentioned this last week or not but i watched sleepaway camp the 1983 horror film obviously most known for that like bonkers ending yep. um so i watched that for npm recently um i quite enjoyed it i've never disliked that film but if it wasn't for that ending it would just be a, be a stock 80s slasher but it's got such a wild ending to it uh, which has come under some criticism recently but um, not entirely sure. I'm kind of on the fence with where I sit on that. Um, I, I watched a film that JB sent me, Peanut Butter Falcon. What a film oh. that was. What a wonderful film that was. Right. Um, 
It's you want to feel, to feel good. I watched a, a Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. I think John's trying to help me with this. And I loved it. I felt so good. I watched Peanut Butter Falcon. I felt so much so good after watching that. And next, I'm going to watch The Lighthouse. And I know I'm going to feel so good after that as well. So, oh, um, uh, mm, Matt, I, uh, mm, I no should spoilers. probably warn you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. John's single-handedly saving me here. Um, and I also watched Promising Young Woman, woman sorry, which I know JB mentioned on the Bampies. Yes. Um, Focus feature was were running a like a minimum a, a short term uh, viewing of it. If you uh, if you knew who to contact, um, so I saw a few people online doing it. So I jumped on board and I got myself a link to watch it. It's like forty eight hour thing. Um, had a few issues with the stream mine, but I got there in the end. Uh, what a film that was, man! What a ride. Oh. Awesome, dude. Honestly, I was like, it was it was great. Everything you said last week in the band piece was 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 spot on, and I think you you, you gave best cinematography for this film. I did, and it certainly was a, a feast for the eyes. I mean, the the colors just pops off the screen. Think, you know, our friend Alejandro um, and director Alejandro, uh, he gave me crap about giving that the cinematography award on Instagram. I was like, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> I missed that. I must go back and have a uh, look at. He messaged comment. me privately. Just, uh, it was just like he's like, "You gave that cinematography." I'm like, "Come on!" <laughs> like, <laughs> it looked, it looked good, dude. Kerry, yeah. um, Kerry Mulligan was wonderful in it. She's really, really good in it. But our boy Bo Burnham was in it, and he, uh, oh, poor Bo. Everybody was very good. It's just a really good film. I, yeah. I, I'm not going to give anything away because that's not what we do. I was. I was thrown a bone and I abs- and I went down the wrong path. I sat here thinking I've got this film worked out. I know exactly where this is going. I was wrong. I was wrong and I'm happy to admit it. And if we ever do a spoiler episode, I'll let you all know what I thought was going to happen. And I was, I thought I was, I was too clever. I was like, no, I, I, I can see it's going to happen. I'm going to be disappointed. Wrong. Loved, loved, loved it. And I know so far we're 19 days into the year. This is going to be at the top of my 2021 list. I think it was damn near perfect. Um, I've been listening to, I was recommended to listen to After Hours by The Weeknd. Um, my buddy Bespin Bulletin, he <laughs> mentioned it to me because he knows I'm a film fan. So he said, oh, well, there's this uh, artist, uh, an artist called The Weeknd. I said, I know who The Weeknd is. He's released this album, which has got a lot of film influence to it. I think you'll like it. And I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty good. I'm always after recommendations. Uh, and I've also been playing Call of Duty Warzone because it's it was free on the PlayStation. And I downloaded the week trial of uh, Zombies as well. And I've been playing that a bit with some buddies. And I'm trying to get John on the headset as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Again, I don't really play uh, single-player kind of shooter games. I much prefer playing with other people, because otherwise I won't play it. I've been having a great time, man. Uh, a game which I know, is, I know is like some of the most popular games of all time, but I've never been interested in it, because I'm not usually into playing those games by myself. But as a team and as a, as a squad, great. Oh. And I want, and I, if I ever get a chance to play with Burke, firstly, he'll be like, like this podcast, he'll be carrying a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, things on his shoulder, but yeah, I've been playing those and having quite a good time. It's quite nice when the kids have gone to bed to sit down and just un- unload on zombies or, or, or enemies on the screen. So not an awful lot, but I had a good, I had a good week's uh, consumption, but what about yourself, uh, my friend? Um, I, uh, one, 
I'm looking at the, our our shared sheet here, and I see After Hours the weekend, and my brain was like, he watched After Hours this weekend. That's interesting. I've never seen that movie, but I'm aware of it. And then I was like, oh god, that's why I laugh when you said the weekend because my brain was like, wow, not I'm once did I think that was an artist. You hate this album. If I if I if I done something cringe here, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, but it's funny because like I've, I have listened to some of the weekend songs, but also like every every cinephile knows who the weekend is because he's part of Uncut Gems, and none of us would have missed that movie. So um, yeah, come on, people. Uh, and uh, but I listen to my normal podcast, uh, Blank Check Podcast. We've, we've finally got to Allied. The last two episodes have been modern movies uh, or recent releases. They did Tenet and they did Wonder Woman eighty four because they've. Um, they've covered a lot of the DC films and then they've uh, done all of Nolan's films. So whenever a director they've covered has a new movie, they always do an episode for it. Um, so they took a break from Zemeckis for a couple of weeks. So uh, we've got allied out of the way. We have Marwin and then witches. And then we start a new director series. So I'm so excited. I want to know who the new director is going to be uh, one, because if it's one I haven't watched, I have to start finding access to all the movies and that nice. can be financially overwhelming. Um, you know, cause I got to like buy movies. Uh, Sometimes rewarding. And almost always rewarding because I even if I don't like the movies, I love being able to. I've listened to episodes of the show where I haven't seen the movie, and it, they're still good episodes. But not knowing the content of the film is always like it's always a little disappointing, right? Like you want to know what they're talking about. Um, and uh, I watched a few movies this week. Um, I had, I believe on our last episode I mentioned I had signed up for the free trial of Apple TV Plus. Yes. Um, because I wanted to watch, uh, I actually got it to watch Boy State, but then what loved Wolf Walkers, which ended up getting my best animated film. Um, and so, um, I watched a few things from that, um, including On the Rocks, the Sofia Coppola, uh, yeah. Bill Murray, and um, I always forget her name, Rashida Rashida Jones. Uh, and okay, so if you don't know this about me, I am a sucker for Bill Murray. I absolutely love bill murray um one i already mentioned i'm teaching groundhog day so i had to like go on a, a whole spiel about it um my time at south by southwest i was tricked into watching a mediocre bad documentary that was sold to me as a a bill murray moment um but there was a actual one that i wanted to watch which is on netflix now uh which is the myths of it's it's a really long title i do not remember what it is but it, search bill murray it'll pop up um because bill murray's become kind of mythic he's almost like a bigfoot-esque figure in our culture at this point and it's one of the things I love about it. But I've, the first movie I ever saw in theaters was Ghostbusters. So On the Rocks works for me perfectly because it's whenever Bill Murray's there, he's so charming. I ate it up so much. I had a good time with the movie. Um, I can totally see what... Regret as well. It's one I wanted to watch last year, but I didn't get around to it. I think you'll like it. Um, I, I think if you're a Bill Murray fan, you're going to love the movie. Rashida Jones is great. Um, it's It's kind of a downer movie in terms of like some things. And but I, I I loved it. I'm not a huge Sofia Coppola fan. I like I love Lost in Translation, but that's got Bill Murray. Um, and uh, the um, Virgin Suicides, excellent movie, very tough movie, but excellent movie. Um, and I, I don't dislike any of the films of hers that I have seen, which I saw Beguiled. I didn't love Beguiled, but I also like I, I appreciate it. It's definitely you know well made. It's just not a movie that I clicked with. But um, th- so that was one from Apple TV Plus, and then I watched uh, the Beastie Boys story. Um, I didn't know exactly what this was. I thought it was a documentary about the Beastie Boys. It's it's actually uh it's more of a live performance of uh, a two man show. It's it's Mike D and the other guy whose name I always forget. Um, 
talking about their whole story. They're giving from beginning to end the life story of the Beastie Boys. And it's ultimately a tribute to the member who died, whose name is also not going to come to me. And I am so sorry. Uh, but I, uh, I've always liked their music. Um, I found it to be a very, very engaging uh, performance. It, it, they are not, while they are performers, they are not uh, experts at like delivering jokes. So it, it very much feels like they're reading a teleprompter at times, um, yeah. but it still works and it's still genuine. You can tell what they're saying is, is sincere. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, also, I, I do like a lot of their songs. I didn't realize how few albums they actually had though um until watching this like uh, they have a lot of songs that we're familiar with but they only did like five albums um and given this the the stretch of time uh they could have had many many more if you look at other artists who pump out albums every like one to two years um and i'm not saying they need to do that you know sometimes less is more right like sometimes you have better songs because you you dedicate you're not just pumping them out but um those two things are the two movies i watched on the apple tv plus I watched uh, Top Gun because uh, Corey has never seen it. And that was our uh, movie club movie of the week last week. Um, That was my third time seeing Top Gun. I waited till a few years ago to finally watch it all the way through. Uh, I do like that movie. It's hard. Tom Cruise is great. Um, Do you feel the need? Oh, the need for speed? Yes, sir. Uh, But negative, Ghost Rider. Um, Then uh, I'm teaching uh, for my film 2 class. We're we're watching Cat People uh, produced by Val Luton. And I, I became a really big fan of Val Luton um, through a podcast called uh, Secret History of Hollywood. And uh, his second, I think it's the second series, it's at least the second series that was available to me was called The Shadows. Um, and it's all about Val Luton and his story. And it's, it's an excellent podcast. Can't recommend it enough. Um, and uh, I know a lot about Val Luton because of that podcast. Um, I've only seen a couple of the nine movies that he produced uh, under RKO in their Horror B division. But um, it was completely contrary to the universal monster movies that were being made at the time, even though that's what they were looking for. He made more psychological horror that stands up to, to this day. And so uh, because I am teaching it, I had been looking into him to talk about it more and realized there was a documentary from 2008 that was a TCM kind of sponsor thing uh, that Martin Scorsese does the narration on. And I really wanted to see it and I was considering ordering it. And then I was like, well, you know what? I have the Criterion Blu-ray of Cat People. There's got to be a documentary on that. And sure enough, the documentary that I almost bought separate was on the Blu-ray. I was like, oh, no, perfect. I... Um, so I'm glad I looked and I uh, I watched it and it is great. Uh, again, if you know nothing about Val Luton, it's especially great. Odds are, if you know nothing about Val Luton, you probably don't own the Cat People Blu-ray Criterion uh, movie. Um, so... Yeah, you know, it's worth buying. I think the movie looks amazing. I think the film is very entertaining. And teaching it today was really cool. Uh, it's the first time I've ever taught Val Luton in class, and I have I am I probably know too much about him because the secret history of Hollywood. Uh, there's 11 episodes dedicated to him, but each episode is at least two hours, and I think there's two episodes that are six hours or more. So there's like it's like an audiobook of Val Luton basically. Um, so I know a lot about his life like not just his professional life. I know like his, his life story because of this podcast. So I could talk for days and I probably did, but those are the movies that I watched. I did uh, uncharacteristically. I've been watching a lot more TV this uh, since the pandemic basically, but um, I want to rave and holler and scream from the mountaintop about Ted Lasso, the Apple TV original TV series. It is one of my favorite sitcoms ever. 
Yo. I, I think it is it is masterful. I love every second of it. It is um I can see how there could be some people might argue for a few little problematic things, but I don't think so. But the hopefulness and the goodness that pours out of this show is so refreshing. It is, I think every time it looks like there's going to be this big dramatic or like melodramatic moment, the show subverts that. And, and it's just, it's like the, the, one of the best examples of what mentally stable adults can be like, Oh, this is an obstacle that is challenging. I can a overreact and be, you know, crazy B I can, uh, let it eat me up inside instead of talking about it or see, I can do the mentally healthy thing and, and have a calm discussion with a peer. That is what the show manages to do while still being entertaining and hilarious, which is the, the biggest Marvel of all is like, how can you not go for those big obvious swings and yet still feel like I'm watching an engaging, entertaining show. And um, I think it's a lot has to do with Sudeikis, Sudeikis, uh, especially if you've seen a lot of Sudeikis' roles, he's often sar- you know, snarky and witty, but he's usually kind of got like a cold, cruel edge to his characters, especially, I think I'm thinking of Colossal the most, where he's like, I don't know if you've seen oh, Colossal. The album that we did, we covered that, I think. Yeah, I think so too, but I was, it's been so long. Um, God, he was horrible. Awful Yeah, man. right, right. And yet, here he's so believably sweet and and not like... It's almost to the point of obnoxious, but he somehow manages to always bring it back down. It's just great. And just the premise alone is kind of silly and zany. It's essentially, what if a football coach, an American football coach, is suddenly hired to coach a Premier League soccer team in the UK, um, which is a fictional team, apparently. It took a lot for me to find that out, by the way, because I know nothing about soccer. Also, I I learned a lot about soccer. I didn't know a team could become, like, not Premier. Like... Yes, you can get relegated from the league and drop down a division right. and then somebody takes your place. Whereas that, the MLS doesn't have that kind of system. No, we don't have that at all in America. Like you're just kind of set. Uh, if you exist, you exist. That's probably because the owners don't want to like lose their teams or something. I don't know. But, absolutely why. But that show, to me, if there's a reason to get Apple TV+, Plus, there are two. Wolf Walkers and Ted Lasso. Those are the two reasons right now that I think is worth getting Apple TV plus there might be others, but from the things that I watch, those two things alone are worth the seven day free trial or paying five bucks for the month and and watching it. I will a hundred percent when season two and season three, which are both confirmed for Ted Lasso when they drop, if they drop in their entirety or as soon as all of them are out, I will, I will pay for a month of Apple TV plus to watch that show because I love this show. Um, That said, I watched WandaVision episode one and two. Mm-hmm. I uh I am not a big Vision or Wanda as or Scarlet Witch fan from the comics or even from the movies. I didn't dislike the movies like versions or anything like that, but they're not like when I look back at the Marvel universe, they're not the two characters that I'm like, hey, what are they up to? It's not that for me. So I wasn't really that hyped on the show, but everyone was raving about it. Yeah. So so I made an effort. It's great. It's it's oh, wow. um it's visually just awesome because if you're a, if you grew up watching like reruns of sitcoms and stuff you're going to have that like nostalgia for it. They, I think they nailed the look and the style of it. Um, it very much reminds of like Pleasantville um, even. And uh, I, I gotta say, I think Olsen's doing some of her best work. Like she's really good in this. Um, so I, 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 I'm excited to see where they go with the show. Um, I think that will kind of in the end decide how great it is, but like there's, there's so many 
like I literally grew up watching Nick at night. Like that was like, so Donna Reed, my three sons. Um, uh, I still, I still watch golden girls and I love Lucy. I know golden girls is an 80s show, but nonetheless, it still has that kind of sitcom vibe. I, I'm a big sitcom fan in general. So the, this homage to sitcoms mixed in with the uh, comic book, super engaging, super entertaining. Sweet. I, I haven't, I've seen everyone say exactly the same as you that they really like the first two and I can't wait to see where it goes. I haven't been as interested. I mean, I, I like the MCU, but I none of the TV shows have really grabbed me. And I've also said on many times on record that the name WandaVision really, really bugs me because it irrationally annoys me. But so eventually I will get around to watch them. But um, on your recommendation, I may bump it up the list along with Ted Lasso. And uh, you know that my resolution for this year is to read more books. And I am like 17 hours into this book called Five Came Back. Um, and it is a book about uh, five directors who went to World War II. They were filmmakers first, Frank Capra, John Ford, uh, George Stevens, um, John Huston, and uh, William Wyler. And it, it focuses on these five and their role and contribution during the war. Um, the crazy things that they encountered. This, uh, I was literally in tears on my way home listening to the part where George Stevens uh, finds um, Dachau, the uh, the concentration camp, what he finds there and his reactions. Um, I was I was tearing up in the car. Now, uh, what was I was talking to my history friends. Uh, I have a group chat with two history teacher friends that I, I absolutely admire. I think they are two of the most brilliant people that I know. And um, I, I feel almost honored that they're willing to have me in a group chat uh, because they are like I know movies. They know like real world crap that has happened in politics and things. Um, when I, I decided to read books to try to at least, you know, in, improve my overall intellect. Um, I had mentioned this book to them and uh, one of them was like, Oh, I love that on Netflix. And I was like, what now? And she didn't realize I was talking about a book. She thought I was talking about this Netflix documentary series on this same book that I am now reading. So I watched that this weekend. It's uh, three hours just over. Um, and it has a lot of modern directors talking about like these directors and what they did in their movies and whatnot. And it has tons of clips. So it was kind of cool. Cause I got to see a lot of the things the book is talking about. Um, because they have the footage and whatnot. Um, Spielberg talks about it. They have, uh, um, oh man, uh, my I, my head literally just lost everybody. Uh, Kasdan and uh, Del Toro's in it. Like, there's a bunch of like iconic directors talking about the influence these filmmakers had on them, but also on the world and how they brought you know American propaganda and how they were treated as, it, by different scenarios. It, it's a very compelling watch if you're not up for a 15 hour audiobook. Uh, here's a three-hour visual version of the book uh, that I think is worth kind of compelling. To me, doing them both at the same time was was just an added bonus. And in a, a few ways, it confirmed, because sometimes with an audiobook or a podcast, I will zone out for like long stretches where I'll be like, oh my God, I'm listening to something and I'll have no idea how I got to where I'm at, right? Um, watching the, the, the visuals, actually, I, I caught a lot more of the book than I thought because I'm like, I knew this, I knew this, I knew that, I knew about that. So the, the stuff was sticking, even if I wasn't aware that I was hearing it kind of thing. So I was like, okay, that's kind of, that's reassuring that I'm not just like powering through an audiobook, but actually getting nothing from it. Um, so that helped too. And uh, lastly, uh, video games. I played Halo Master Chief Collection on the old Xbox One with a friend. Um, we grew up, Halo was like the first multiplayer. I say we grew up, we were already in college when Halo came out. But nonetheless, uh, when we really got into multiplayer gaming was Halo. And we would like, we would have two TVs an Xbox in each room, a TV in each room with a cable like running across and four people in one room, four people in the other room, uh, four versus four. Like it was to me the most fun I've ever had playing video games was playing Halo one like that. Um, 
but Halo Master Chief Collection has gotten a, a, a going again. There's a big community for it all of a sudden, and it's included with Game Pass. So as long as you're you're paying for the Game Pass, you everyone can play it. Um, and it was fun hopping back into Halo. Not great at it, but I'm always I'm always somewhere mediocre with FPSs. So I, I'm definitely I did download uh, Warzone on my PS4, so I will be uh, hopping on that with you at some point. Um, but the other thing that came out last week was the remastered uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World like side scroller adventure game. Um, it's it's out on like every system. It's fifteen bucks. It's even on the Switch. Um, I bought it on the Xbox because my daughter and I both have an Xbox. So if I buy something there, she can also play it. Um, and uh, I had it on the Xbox 360, and I never really got to beat it because it's it's one of those games that can get a little frustrating. Um, but it's Scott Pilgrim, and I love it. And this was the uh, the Ultimate Edition came with like all the characters. So like I've been playing as Wallace. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's just like a button smasher kind of like um. Fist of Fury, Dungeons and Dra- uh, not Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Double Dragon kind of game like back in the day, but with the Scott Pilgrim aesthetic, the comic aesthetic. It's definitely geared towards the books more so than the movie, but uh, for me, it's it's a lot of fun. So I, I had to snag it when it dropped. We know how much you love Scott Pilgrim. I've never even I didn't really. This is how bad I am as a noob at gaming. I, I didn't even realize there was a game. But um, listen, if you like it, I'm all for it. Maybe I'll, again, maybe I'll check it out. I'm trying to get into more games, and if one loosely relates to a film i'm more yeah. likely to check it out but if we if we do get on that headset guys we will let you know on an episode of bamp just how badly we get defeated if we get really good at it we can always start like bamp twitch oh <laughs> you damn right we can um but that's uh, that's what i've been consuming and that's what we have been consuming since the last time we recorded so the last part of the show before we wrap up is we have to look at all of the effort we put into staying bloody awesome because it's just not easy it's not easy mustering up the energy that we need to maintain this level of bloody awesomeness so matt i have no idea what yours means so i'm so excited to hear (laughs) what this is what have you been doing to stay bloody awesome well it's not as exciting or as mysterious as it may sound but um i am uh i am uh, challenged around the waistline and it's something i'm waiting to uh amend and a, a buddy of mine, she has been uh, bought these books. These, apparently, it's the fastest selling cook, cookbook of all time. Um, so uh, Google tells me uh, it's called Pinch of Nom. Basically, it's simple and fast slimming recipes, but they're not boring. It's not like uh, here's a leaf of lettuce. We'll put some tomato in there and then you can drizzle a little bit of salad on it and we can call it like a, a faux sandwich. No, no, no. It's pancakes, there's massive chicken dishes, beef, pork, uh, muffins, similar to what JB's been making. To be fair, it's not an awful lot different to what JB's been doing um, beforehand with keto. It's not keto, though, but, I mean, a lot of the things John was eating before, which made my mouth water, are kind of in this book. So I kind of said, well, that sounds great. Wouldn't it be great if I could just, you know, sample some of these recipes? And lo and behold, about 40 images came through on WhatsApp, literally the entire book. So I've gone shopping to get some of, some of the stuff. So I'm going to be making these um, chocolate and banana muffins for breakfast, um, a load of chicken dishes and like a Mongolian beef dish as well for dinner over the next few weeks. Uh, there's like tuna pepper milks, which look unreal. Uh, honestly, I've, that my biggest thing, and I know this isn't, it's probably bore a lot of people, but my biggest thing about losing weight is, how am I going to eat that? It's like appealing because I can, I've never been able to have a salad because the idea of coming off a, a shift at work, you know, and then going for your lunch break and then realizing you've got a salad waiting for you, 
was always soul destroying to me. Even though you can get nice ones, I was like, ah, I, I can't get into it. But knowing I can kind of eat stuff which sounds, you know, tantalizing to someone like me who loves food, I wasn't going to turn that down. So this time next year, you know, there'll be there'll be half of me, but um, but double the pride. So um, eating, I'm starting to eat better, but good stuff though, like pancakes which is what it's all about, John. So Pinch of Nom. It sounds exciting. It is just a very uh, very well-known cookbook. Well, it's funny because not, not knowing what that was, um, I went with recipe exploration for my <laughs> saying bloody awesome. As, we love food. Uh, I get into a, a rut where we're just basically, I was making like the same exact meals like week after week. And I don't mind it, but I can tell my family starts to get bored, bored with it. Um, and, uh, so I've been trying to find different ways to use like ground turkey, for example, um, and or like like I like broccoli, but it gets boring if it's just broccoli, right? Like even if it's steamed or whatever, like it, it needed to mix it up. So I've been trying some different things. Um, uh, we we made eggplant uh, pizzas the other night. So like using eggplant as your your crust instead of crust because it's carb friendly, yes. um, which is really plus I I just like eggplant anyway. So anytime I have a reason to buy eggplant, I'm like, all right. Um, and then uh, I made last night this um, kind of out of nowhere. I made a uh, I used ground turkey, broccoli, uh, some mushrooms, uh, six eggs, and made like a casserole with uh, cheddar cheese in it. And that was really really good, uh, low carb, but also uh, a different way. It was you know I chopped the broccoli broccoli up so like there was no big chunks of broccoli in it. It was just like broccoli throughout, and it was it was really good that way. Um, and then uh, the other night we made this. Um, my wife found like a random recipe. I think it was like on a Facebook post, but she sent it to me and it was basically, um, they were putting pork chops on top of potatoes and then having like a, a mu- cream of mushroom soup with a French onion soup packet added to it. And, uh, I, instead of using potatoes, is like, I think I could just use frozen cauliflower instead. And, oh man, I don't think I've ever had cauliflower that tasted better than the cauliflower in the mushroom soup and, um, French onion packet mix. It was amazing. Pork chops were fine. But they they didn't the one of the steps in the recipe was to brown the pork chops first, and then put like everything on top of it. And I feel like because you brown them, it doesn't absorb any of the flavor from the French onion soup or whatever. Uh, no, you're wrong. Right. I think it would, yeah, I think it would have been better to let let it soak in that and cook because it, it cooks for an hour. And pork chops, boneless pork chops, cook in twenty minutes at four hundred degrees. So I'm like it's going to be cooked all the way. You don't need to brown them, but I did anyway. So I was following the recipe next time I make it, I will not do that. Um, I think it'll be better, but uh, so yeah, we've just been trying different things to make the food we already have more exciting. And so far, a lot of what I've tried have, um, I already have everything in the house and that's been extra convenient. Like I, I made this uh, butter garlic chicken, uh, butter garlic ground chicken with uh, cauliflower. That was really, really good. Like they're just getting, getting outside of like, you know, meatloaf or uh, hamburgers or whatever, which sometimes those are great, but if you're doing the same thing every single week, it especially like with low carb and stuff, it can get real tedious and um, going these extra steps while it might take a little longer and require more cleanup. It just makes you feel like you're getting a treat. And with, if you're trying to eat healthy, sometimes you need to feel like you're getting a treat and still eat healthy, you know? So that's what, uh, what I've been doing. We love food on the BAMP. Yeah, we are uh, definitely foodies um, as well. We we're, we like culture is what it is, and food is part of our culture. So um, that's our episode, folks. We are going to be back next week with a review of a new Netflix movie called The White Tiger. Um, 
I, I've heard good things uh, from Big Tuna, especially. Uh, so I'm looking forward to checking that movie out. It drops on uh, the 22nd, uh, which is Friday, um, on Netflix. And so we'll be here to talk about that movie. Um, in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Matt, where can they find us on Twitter? Uh, at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And on Instagram, we are Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Right now, we've been posting our Bampy uh, Award, so we'd love to hear what did we miss, what did we get wrong again. My boy Alejandro had to give me crap about my cinematographer choice. We are okay with that. Um, if you want to add us, uh, and maybe I'll tell you, you young whippersnappers just don't get it. Who knows? Um, and if you're an old whippersnapper, you're probably using Facebook. You can find us there, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Um, and then individually, if you just want to follow Matt and I to see what we post and what we talk about, um, Matt, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me what I watched tonight.co.uk and just search what I watched tonight on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, and you'll find me there. And I'm at burkreviews.com and on all of the social media is just at burkreviews. Um, if you like what we're doing here on the BAMP, we ask that you take a few minutes and rate and review us. It helps new listeners find the podcast. Um, and with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blood, 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 bloody. 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 Blood, blood, bloody. Awesome.